millions of Christians face intense persecution and risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. Vom Oz Radio supports persecuted Christians, giving a voice to the testimony of those who have been denied a voice. Our programs inform and encourage Christians in Australia and around the world to mobilize and to stand with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecuted. Welcome back to Voice of the Martyrs Radio. You know, in the United States, we just celebrated the Thanksgiving holiday. And I know for many of our listeners, the celebration was bittersweet. Because of COVID outbreaks across the country, plans had to change for a lot of people. There were fewer family gatherings, and sadly, some were even marking the day in the hospital or grieving for a lost loved one. It's easy to be thankful when things are going well. It's not as easy when facing uncertainty and worry about the future. Today's guest is going to give us important perspective on all that we can be thankful for. Dmitry or David Shestikov is with us this week on VOM Radio. He's a former prisoner for Christ in the nation of Uzbekistan. And while he was in prison, he learned to be thankful for simple things like an encouraging letter. We'll hear more about that as he tells us his story. David, welcome to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank you very much. Let's start at the very beginning of your story. How did you first come to faith in Christ? I have a typical story, I would say, for the former Soviet Union country for the 1990s when a lot of missionaries came to our country and to our city as well. I was a sportsman and I was a member of the youth gang in our city. And at some point, I started to use drugs. And at, by the age of 21, my life was an absolute wreck, and I didn't see any cause to live this life. And my mom was so stressed seeing me like that. And being atheist and communist, she uh, came to the church with one prayer. She prayed, God, if you exist, save my son. And she, uh, she uh, repeatedly uh, was uh, telling me during this year, you have to go to the church, you have to go to the church. And I finally said, okay, what's going on there? She said, oh, a lot of people, you know, became free of their addictions. And David asked, are they quit smoking, some of them? She said, yeah, 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 some of them quit smoking. And David said, okay, I want to quit smoking. I didn't like to smoke, so I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> and so you got to church. She made you sit on the very front row. What happened in that service? I was in a really bad mood that day, and I was trying to find a way to escape because all these, you know, loud voices and clappings and, you know, preaching, I was very dislike what I saw. But they didn't allow me to escape. They just, all those grandmas on the first row, they <laughs> surrounded me and didn't let me <laughs> escape. I, I had terrible headache. I, I knew I need more drugs at that point. But nevertheless, inside of my heart, I was 
completely sure that something is going to happen today. I didn't un understand anything uh, out of you know sermon or what's going on around me, but one grandma constantly uh, were coming to me and said, "God loves you. God loves you." And uh, after the sermon, pastor approached us, me and my wife, for some reason. He started to pray not for the whole congregation, but directly for me and my wife. He laid his hands uh, upon us and started to pray. I was starting to cry, and uh, also the whole church started to cry with us, maybe 70 people at that time. Okay, and uh, everyone was just amazed that I am crying because everybody knew me as a criminal, you know, and they saw me crying, and they was amazed about what's happening. When I opened my eyes, I saw a completely different world. I uh, grabbed this pastor, I shook him and said, what's happened to me? And he, he said, it, it, it was repentance. And I said, what, what do you mean repentance? What it means? But God uh, truly deeply touched me this day, and he saved me this day. Amen. So God got a hold of your life, and then you became a worker. I mean, you became a, an evangelist. Talk about what God had done in your life and why you were so anxious to share that with other people. I maybe was not uh, able to verbalize these thoughts at first, but within just first few days after my repentance, I promised God that I will serve him. I was so touched, deeply touched by his love, and I didn't know how, I didn't know where, but I was sure that at some point I will serve him till the rest of my life. How soon did you know that that would be costly, that that, that would involve suffering and persecution? Uh, but from the first uh, days, I was praying to God, and I imagined a Christ crucified on the cross, and I imagined his suffering on the cross. And I even told him that if I uh, will go through my own suffering uh, in your sake, I will go through it. You're listening to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio, and we're talking today with Dmitry David Shestikov, former prisoner for Christ in Uzbekistan. So, David, a, a few months after you became a believer, you actually moved to a different city and began the process of planting a church. How soon after that did the trouble start? Did the persecution begin? I would say our first troubles began in 1997 when government declared re-registration of all churches in our country. And approximately at the same time, we started to see Uzbeks coming to Christ and uh, repented and converted from Islam to Christianity. And it was a, a concern for our um, uh, government. And at the same time, I was told that I have to throw out Uzbeks from our church. It was demand, basically, from the government. And at this point, we started experiencing a pressure from a government side. So the, the government was concerned that Uzbek people were coming to faith in Christ, were leaving Islam, 
Why did that bother the government, or, or why was that a problem for them? One, one of the reasons, because our local mullahs approached the government with a complaint that some of the members are converted to Christianity, because all those converts are uh, immediately outcasts from the whole society. They have a problem to find a job, they have a problem to communicate with the uh, other family members, and they warn government that if such people will be like uh, more and more, uh, it will be a social problem for the region, for the particular city. So what did that pressure look like? I mean, did the police come and visit you and say, hey, you need to stop this? Did, did they close down your church? How did it kind of escalate from things are going okay to, okay, now we're under intense pressure? They were trying to apply a pressure from all government agencies existed. I was, yes, I was called to the police and police approached our church numerous times. Uh, I also had called from prosecutor's office to come to to talk about that. I have numerous calls from the mayor, mayor's office, you know, to come and talk about my church and about this issue. So from basically all government channels, we experienced pressure. And so when were you arrested? In 2007. And what did you think? When when the police came and now you're in custody, how how were you feeling or how were you in your spirit? They took me uh, on a Sunday morning out of from my church. I was not even able to preach that Sunday, so they took me from the church. They uh, brought me to the police station. They uh, ha- uh, put handcuffs on my hands. And my first feelings were, the, I would say, like romantic feelings. I'm, I, I was thinking I am worthy to suffer for Christ's sake. But these romantic feelings disappeared very quickly when they throw me into the cell with all other criminals. And I saw what's going on in, a, in this cell. And I heard someone was tortured in a cell next to ours, and at that point, all romantic feelings disappeared. So what was your prayer at that point, as those romantic feelings disappeared, what were you praying as you saw, okay, I'm in a really desperate situation now? I was not able to pray. I, I knew I need to pray, but I was not able. And later they put me to another cell, isolation cell, where I was alone. And in this cell, I forced myself to, you know, to talk to God. It was an awkward, awkward situation. Uh, I'm a pastor, and I taught uh, my, you know, people that they have to pray in all circumstances. And I myself was not able to pray. I understood that, and I just forced myself to, to, to say something, something to God. And I, I approached the window, and I looked at the sky, and my first words were, Why me, God? Why I'm here? There are many other pastors that are better than myself, so why me? Shoot you. That's a joke. <laughs> but, <laughs> but 
the the reason that makes me so interested is because even in the first days after you came to faith, you saw Christ on the cross and you understood there's going to be suffering here. But then in that moment, you had that experience of saying, what am I doing here? Why am I here? I forgot my first prayer. <laughs> we just bought a church building just a few months. And I was blessed by a new car. Someone just gave it to me. We have a good family and a good relationship with my wife and kids. Everything was great. And I had two questions. Why me and why why now? So how did God answer those questions? And, and how long did it take to answer those questions? I didn't hear any answers, maybe because those questions were foolish. And I did not understand why I was in prison until probably my release. I accepted my situation, but I never understood why I'm here. I have several moments where God encouraged me to go through this journey, and one moment was when my wife brought me a word from a local pastor who said, David, maybe the authorities are trying uh, a new tactic on you. They will see what's going to happen if they will start to imprison Christian pastors. And we're very thankful to you that you are bearing this burden for all of us. And this word was really encouraged me to go through this trial. Let's let's fast forward a little bit into the story of when you were in prison, because one of the ways that Voice of the Martyrs helps prisoners is by encouraging American Christians to write letters to them in prison. You were one of those prisoners on PrisonerAlert.com. We told people write letters to David Chestikov in prison, write letters to the Uzbek government, ask them to release him from prison. Talk about what it meant to you inside the prison when those letters started coming. I, I see and experienced a huge impact of these letters in many ways. Uh, for example, in connection with my last thought that I was just uh, an example set it by government to see what's going to happen. And I became a big headache for uh, Uzbek government because people from all over the world and from United States, they send uh, letters, prayers, they uh, express their disappointment of me being in prison unjustly. And they they experiment didn't go well. And we do not see any more uh, imprisonment in Uzbekistan. I was the only one who was imprisoned for so-called extremism and distribution of religious literature. And after my release, no one was imprisoned for a big term. So you think in some ways the letters have kept other pastors out of prison because the government saw this gets international attention. This makes us look bad. Yes, I'm 100% sure that it works like that. Let's talk about not just other pastors, though. Let's talk about you, because I know there was one time in the prison where new guards had just come in and some letters showed up, and it, it really made things dramatically better for you. In uh, our prison, they replaced police officers, the guards, every year, 
in order to prevent uh, corruption. So uh, our new guards, new officers who uh, came to the duty, they usually beat up those prisoners who imprisoned on for extremism like myself. They beat them first, then they introduced themselves. So, and all the time where uh, this replacement of the officers took place, they called me and at the same time a post office, you know, a worker approached with a sack full with these letters. And he usually started to scream through the, all this headquarters, this Shestakov, we got tired of him, we got tired of these uh, letters, and everybody get out of their rooms just to see what he's uh, screaming about and what, why he's upset. And he explained that this Shestakov receiving like a hundred letters a day and everybody get tired of these letters and so on and so forth. And th those new officers, new guards were impressed by the fact that this person received such uh, attention all over the world. And they were really polite to me and they asked the questions whether I knew all those people uh, all around the world. David, some of the people who wrote those letters are going to be listening to this radio broadcast. I would like you to speak directly to them and, and just tell them what it meant that they wrote those letters. I was dreaming about this opportunity to say thank you out of my heart. And I really admire what you have done for me and for my family. Because these letters, this support created different opportunities for me while I was in prison, as I said. But also it encouraged me personally that I am not forgotten that many people remember me. And the first attack I experienced in prison uh, was the thought that I left behind and everybody forgot about me. That was my first you know, thoughts and all my suffering in, uh, sufferings in vain. But receiving all those letters every day from all over the world encouraged me to go through this trial. So thank you very much for what you have done for me. What was the hardest time or what was the low point of your time in prison? It was just before my release because I learned that the government want to increase my uh, sentence for three more years. And in order to do so legally, they put me three times into isolation cell. It's, it's a form of torture in Uzbek prison when they open the door during the night and allow to snow even come to the cell and you cannot sleep because of the cold and you cannot sleep during the day because of the regime and they don't just not allow you to sleep so at one point I was there for 22 days without sleep and it's really uh, hard and it's it's a it's a torture the uncertainty uh, whether I will be given more prison term or not, whether I die in this isolation cell or not, was really, really hard. But at the same time, when I was released from prison, miraculously, absolutely miraculously, and I've been told by the um, chief guard of this prison that no one in the history of this prison 
was released as I was released. Wow. No one, no criminal, you know, people, nor wealthy people, no people of power who was imprisoned for some reason. And just the Christian pastor was released after three isolation cells and after all paperwork was done for his next term, he was released. Wow. It's like a scripture came to life, uh, Act 12.5, uh, while Peter was in prison, the church sin sincerely prayed for him. And after church prayed, we learn about uh, his miraculous release. So the same thing happened in my life. Last question. I know you have a family, you have a wife and daughters that suffered also while you were in prison. How can we pray for the families of Christian prisoners around the world? It was hard to me, but for my family it was even harder, for my wife and for my kids. And of course uh, we should pray for the families of imprisoned Christians with the, probably the same, first of all, prayer to strengthen their faith, and a second, to raise more supporters. Because in my case, I have a lot of people who supported my family with their prayers, with the finances, with all the needs they have. So the needs of my family were covered, and I'm thanking God for that. To be a part of the one body of Christ, one church, and we should pray that the people in the world will pay more attention to those who suffer. One of the ways that uh, our listeners can do that is through the Voice of the Martyrs, what we call the Families of Martyrs Fund, which is money that helps the families of prisoners, helps uh, the families of those who have died for their faith. So if you're interested in giving to support that, you can come to vomradio.net and just click on the Donate tab at the top of the page. David, it has been such a joy to have you here today, uh, having seen your picture on Prisoner Alert, having seen the pictures of your family and prayed for you and prayed for them. Uh, to have this chance to firsthand hear your story is just a great blessing. Thank you for being our guest today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. And thank you. Thank you very much for what you are doing. And it was my dream. I wanted to be here. I wanted to see you. I wanted to hug you. And I wanted to thank you for your great work and support that you are doing for those who persecuted and for my family in particular. Well, it's our blessing and our honor to stand with brothers and sisters like you around the world. I hope you'll be back with us next week to hear from Pastor Robert Asarian. He's a gospel worker from the Islamic Republic of Iran. That's a place of intense persecution, but it's also the site of the fastest growing church in the world. Robert is going to bring us a firsthand account of what it means to suffer for Christ. He's also going to equip us to pray specifically, especially for Christian prisoners inside Iran and not just when they're in prison. I know you'll be encouraged by that conversation, so please be back with us next week right here on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Christians in hostile nations may live far from us. As believers, we know that we are one with them and part of the body of Christ. As such, we can't ignore their suffering. If the Holy Spirit is impressing you to know more and support the work of Voice of the Martyrs, please visit our website at vom 
www.tax.gov.com.au. All donations of $2 and more are tax deductible in Australia. This has been a production of Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecuted.